are trying our best, why do we have to keep bringing up this issue of sin? Some of you may come from a church background where that's all you talked about, was sin, 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 sin. And, and, and you would leave church feeling discouraged. Some of you may, from the opposite, came from a church background where they never talked about sin. Free and easy grace, Jesus loves you no matter what you do, and sin makes you uncomfortable for that reason. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. You know, and I remember, actually, um, my church I kind of grew up with was the bit of the latter one where we never really talked about sin. And so whenever sin came up in church, I always felt really shameful and really guilty, and it was sort of a struggle for me. Uh, I thought about this comparison. Um, I used to actually feel like going to church was like going to the dentist. Um, you ever go to the dentist, and it's like you know they're going to tell you you need to brush a little better. you got to floss a little more often. Oh, you got a cavity. we got to take care of that. You know, and I remember thinking, oh, I hate going to the dentist because it's the same thing every single time. Do more, work harder, do this. And I actually thought that's sort of how I saw church for a long time, right? Oh, I'm going to go to church, and they're going to talk about my sin, and, and I'm going to feel really guilty and shameful inside, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to pray more and read my Bible more and go to church more. And, and there was a time in my life where I remember walking into church just thinking, okay, let's just get through this. Right? Let's just get in and get out. And, well, at the time, I didn't really like going to church. I, I still don't like going to the dentist, by the way. But that's not really what church is for, is it? See, the reason I want to talk about sin and righteousness tonight is to help us see and to help us understand why we do things like confess our sin. Why we do things like come together in worship at a time like this, despite the fact that we are imperfect during the week, or maybe just five minutes before church. I don't know what you were doing. But see, we don't confess our sin. We don't come to church so that we feel bad. We don't do these things to, to bring up shame or guilt inside of our lives. We do these things for a purpose. And I think Jesus is describing to his disciples a bit about this purpose in our passage tonight. And so let's examine John 15 and 16 here and, and, and see what we can learn from it. So the first couple of verses are the end of John 15. And, and, and as a reminder, if you weren't here last week, this is when he's saying that the world is going to hate you. The world is going to despise you. The world is going to reject you because they rejected me. And just so you know, it's going to go poorly for you, but I am with you. And he says, also, though, I'm going to, when I leave, I am going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, who goes from the Father and who will testify about me. Right? Jesus is saying to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come to you to give you the power and the strength to testify to the world about me, about the life we lived together these last three years. And that will be your job, to go out and do these things. To go out and continue the work Jesus did. I talk about this a lot, right? Some of you may get sick about hearing about this, that, that we are to continue God's mission through Jesus on this earth. And what did Jesus do, just as a reminder? Always great to read through the Gospels to remind ourselves, but let's just remind ourselves now that he loved the unlovable, forgave the seemingly unforgivable, preached the truth of the Scriptures, set an example for his disciples, asked good questions of people, used the Holy Spirit to reveal to people their own hearts. And Jesus says that you and I, as his disciples, will receive the Holy Spirit to go and do these things, to give testimony, to give witness to these things. Now, 
Then he continues. And all of this, he says in verse 1, all of this I have told you so that you will not fall away, so that you will not be discouraged when these things happen, so that you will remain with me. Remember John 15 at the beginning, abide in me and I in you, vine, branch. Right? He's saying all of this is so you know it will be hard, but we will go forward together. And in fact, verse 2, he says that the Jews, there will be a time when they actually think they're doing God a service by killing you. Remember in our study of Acts, Acts chapter 11, when they killed, or 12, when they kill James and they arrest Peter to do the same thing. And so this obviously comes true. A time when the Jews thought they were doing God a service by killing the apostles. He says it's going to be tough. But again, verse 3, remember, it's because they don't know God the Father and they don't know me. It's not because of you necessarily, it's because of us. It's because you are followers of us. And he says in verse 4, and I always thought this was kind of funny. Um, I did not tell you this from the beginning um, because I was with you. And Jesus is like, listen, if I would have told you from the beginning, people, the Jews are going to try to kill you, you might not have signed up. Right, you fishermen? When I said, hey, drop your nets and follow me, you were excited. A rabbi was calling you to study with him and everything. But, but had I told you that they were going to try to kill you, you might not have done it. But, but, end of verse 4, I did not tell you this because I was with you. Verse 5, or rather, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. He says, listen, we went out and you saw the power of God. We walked together. You saw me heal people. You saw people come to me and see their lives change. You saw all the ministry we did together over the last three years. And now it's your choice. See, if I told you this from the beginning, you might not have followed, but now you've seen it. Now you've felt it. Now you've heard it. How many of you, if you think about your own life and your own testimony, have seen these things take place? Maybe through family, maybe through friends, maybe through some other experience where you saw the power of God at work. And though years ago you might not have stood up and witnessed the same way you would have after that event, after that time, after hearing that testimony, you said, oh, no, 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 I get it now. And so Jesus is telling him, but now you see what we're talking about because you've seen me, you've seen the work I'm doing. We know Jesus and the one who sent him. And so we go forward in the same way. Verse five and six, but now you're all sad because I am leaving. But remember verse seven, the Holy Spirit is coming. And then verse eight to following is where I wanna spend most of our time tonight about what this role of the Holy Spirit is because it gets a little wordy and maybe a little bit confusing. It says when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So let's go through each one of these things and talk about these, okay? Let's just talk about the sin, the righteousness, and the judgment and see what we can learn. He says, verse 9, about sin, the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict them of their sin because people do not believe in me. Right? And, and another way of saying sin is if we're talking about our goal is to continue God's mission and God's purpose and God's plan, then to sin would be to not continue, to not acknowledge God's plan, to not acknowledge God's lordship, right? About to sin would be to live our lives in a way that we do not acknowledge God's power, but we do what we want to do, right? I believe that rejecting Jesus is ultimately the sin he's talking about. This is how the Holy Spirit convicts. See, as I was saying a minute ago, we've seen the Holy Spirit work in life, 
and then we began to believe more, right? And so to reject Jesus would be to experience the Spirit or see the Holy Spirit lived out in someone's life or, or the power of God in some way, and for you to say, no, I don't want that. Right? See, some people sometimes wonder how to define sin, and there's lots of things you could talk about, right, wrong. You know, the Greek, old, or the Greek term is the archery term of missing the mark, right? The archery term, you miss the target. Um, and some come from tradition, as I said, where you talked a lot about sin. Some of you, if you come from a Catholic background or um, a, a background similar, have even heard about unforgivable sins. That there are certain sins that aren't even forgivable, that if we commit some kind of sin or another, that it's unforgivable. And actually, it does say that in Scripture. So when we talk about sin, I thought it would be helpful to mention this. Scripture actually tells us Jesus, his very words, say there is one time there is an unforgivable sin. In Mark chapter 3, in Mark chapter 3, you can look it up later for the whole context, but let me just read you the verse. Mark chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says this. He says, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whosoever or whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, Jesus says. And, and, now, now track with me, see how these two are connected. And then in John 16, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin. So, what do we do with this passage? What if we accidentally commit this unforgivable sin? Well, friends, let me help. If you've ever wondered about this, I believe what Jesus is talking about in both of these passages is that he's talking about if we live our whole lives in disobedience to what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. If we live our whole lives and as the Holy Spirit reveals to us our sin and the things we are doing in opposition to God's plan and we never respond and we never react and we never change the way we think in our belief system, then rather than one simple act of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is living our entire lives in opposition to the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of our lives, Jesus says that those who choose to reject the Holy Spirit will then also be rejected. It's the same thing Jesus is telling his disciples here. The Holy Spirit comes to testify about me, and if people reject me and live their whole lives rejecting me, then that will lead to their destruction. See, the Holy Spirit has come to convict humanity of their sin and their need for Jesus, as we were just singing, give me Jesus. And when we see that we need Jesus to be redeemed, and you and I say, no, thank you, but we don't just do it once or twice, but for the duration of our life, and we constantly reject the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about here. When we think about being convicted of sin, it's not just necessarily a right action or a wrong action any given day. It's about our heart. Do we believe? Do we trust in the power of Jesus? And that's what I think Jesus is getting at here by the Holy Spirit's job of convicting of sin. Because the next thing he says is that the Holy Spirit's job convicts humanity of sin, but then also reveals to them God's righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. That The Holy Spirit comes to reveal righteousness. And not just righteousness that with like a small r, righteousness, capital R, the righteousness of God. 
See, in human nature is funny because we sometimes think that we are righteous, right? We sometimes think that we are good or we're pretty good. I talk about this a lot too. Well, I, I'm, I'm not the best, but I'm better than that person. Or at least I'm better than those people, right? But compared to God, compared to God's righteousness, how are you doing? <laughs> compared to being in maybe the presence of God, it's not even close, is it? And this is kind of what I was getting at with feeling convicted in church sometimes. We get into the presence of God and worship, and we read about his love and how generous he is to us, and then we begin to feel bad. We begin to feel bad or convicted because of our sin. And this is the job. This is the Holy Spirit working in you. The Holy Spirit in those moments is revealing to you your sin next to God's righteousness and prompting you to do something about it to change, to believe, to go forward and leave that sin behind. See, what the Holy Spirit does is it convicts us of our sin next to the righteousness and power of God. And when we see the goodness of God, suddenly the evil and the disobedient nature of our hearts is illuminated and we're forced to deal with it. And then verse 11. So sin, righteousness, and judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And one of the things that's important to remember about judgment here, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, but about judgment here is that it says the judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. There is one that already is condemned in the eyes of God. It's not us. It's the bringer of evil to this world. And it's the tempter of our hearts that tries to draw us away from the righteousness of God that is condemned. Because if you want to think about it like this, it's like sin is humanity, righteousness is God and God's righteousness, and judgment is the fact that these two cannot coexist for eternity. And in fact, that the judgment piece comes in because it's already determined who wins and who loses, right? And we know this from the death and resurrection of Jesus. That God is the ultimate righteous judge and he will dispel the sin. And here in this passage, I find it to be just so powerful. Because the Holy Spirit, and if you read through all of this passage, John 14 through 17, we sometimes call it the upper room discourse of the high priestly prayer in John 17. And all, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. And it actually uses multiple words for different roles of the Holy Spirit. But in this passage, it's a really, really cool, distinct word Jesus uses for the whole... He probably didn't speak in Greek. He probably spoke in Aramaic, but that we have in Greek for this passage. And, and it means, the word is paraclete. Maybe you've heard this before. But here it's in the context of a prosecutor, as in a court. That the Holy Spirit comes to the earth as a prosecutor, as in a court. Okay, so think about that in your mind. And so here's one way to think about that. And maybe you've heard this analogy before, a courtroom setting for talking about Jesus and the forgiving of our sins. But I want to expand that analogy for us here for a minute. Think about the Holy Spirit like this. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come, and here's what's going to happen. You and I are going to find ourselves in court. The Holy Spirit is going to come as a prosecutor with charges against us. The Holy Spirit will reveal to us what we have done. We know that to be true, right? When we're sitting in worship and we feel the presence of God, we feel the, our rebellion and we know the things we have done and we are drawn into confession to get those things off. 
So imagine you're in a court and the Holy Spirit comes before you and reveals to you all of the evidence against you, reveals to you all of the things you have done or left undone, and there's proof and there's evidence. This is where the guilt feeling comes from. This is where the shame feeling comes from. But that's not the point of church. That's not why we are here, is just simply to feel bad and to be revealed that we are sinners. We know we're sinners, right? I mean, maybe you don't. If you don't know, let me reveal to you right now. You are a sinner, okay? Sorry to burst your bubble. Sorry that's hard to hear. Um, You're not righteous, God is. But this is the great thing. The Holy Spirit reveals to us that we are sinners. And then there we are looking down at our list or our, you know. And then the judge comes in. And the Holy Spirit introduces the judge. And this judge is righteous. And we're afraid. We can't even look at him. He's too righteous. He's too good. Here's this list of all of this stuff we have done and left undone. And we're wondering what's going to happen. Kind of waiting for the sentence to fall. But the judge comes to us in the person of Jesus. Takes off our cuffs. Takes off our handcuffs and says, you're free to go. And when we look up fearing judgment and fearing angry retribution or something like that, when we look up and we see God and Jesus, we see love. And we're told to go freely. That's really the analogy Jesus is using here. (laughs) Two courtroom analogies. At the end of verse John 15, the Holy Spirit will testify, as in a courtroom, will give witness about the power of God, and you and I will continue these things once we've experienced them. But this leaves one last thing. If we're sinners and then God in his righteousness forgives us, what about the judgment thing? What does that mean? Well, friends, let me tell you. That judgment piece comes when Jesus comes to take our handcuffs off and set us free. And you know what we say? No, thanks. I'm going to fight the charges. And Jesus says, are you sure? Because you're free to go. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge before the righteous God that you have done these things and you need his grace. But then you're good. You're forgiven. And in our pride and in humanity's pride, they sit there and they stand there like the prince of this world who has chosen to do this. He says, no, I'm going to keep on fighting. I didn't do those things. I'm better than that. I'm righteous. I'm going to stay here and clear my name. And God says, are you sure? See, friends, when I think about the goal of the Holy Spirit, it's not to convict us of sin so that we feel shame and guilt. It's to remind us of God's righteousness and his love and his grace. That every time we come to him in worship, in prayer, every time we're riding on the train, every time we're sitting by ourselves and we feel the conviction of sin, that is the Holy Spirit drawing us away from that sin into the righteousness of God. And our response must be repentance. Our response must be acknowledgement. And our response must be resting in God's righteousness and not our own. Because if we are sinners and if this is true, what hope do we have? How can we argue our way out of this courtroom? We can't. Romans chapter 4. And what does scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was holy. No, 
Abraham acted perfectly. No. Abraham went to church every Sunday. No. Abraham lied multiple times. Abraham didn't really trust God. Abraham made all kinds of mistakes. And yet, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what does Jesus say to his disciples? What does the Holy Spirit reveal to us in our sin and in our rebellion? Believe. But, but I've done all these things. I need to atone for them. I need to stay and fight for my name. And, and no, you don't. You need to believe. And it will be credited to you as righteousness. Because, friends, true righteousness is revealed by God. When we come to church, we confess our sins. We sit, as the psalm says, in reverence we bow toward his holy temple by his great love. And we are brought away from our sin into the righteousness of God, and we are freed from guilt and shame. See, the Holy Spirit does not come to make us feel bad. Church does not exist to make us feel bad. It's to bring us out of darkness and into light. It is to bring us out of, as Psalm 69 says, this deep, murky, miry pit and into the light of God. The Holy Spirit came to you and to me to reveal to us our sin, but to bring us into the righteousness of God so that we might go and give witness and testimony to this world that God desires to do the same with our neighbor, with our coworker, with the people who live in that building, with the people you sit across from at work, with the people you're having lunch with, whomever it is. And you and I, our calling in this is to take that life of sin and leave it behind and go into that life of righteousness, giving testimony of the great things God has done. I love the story in Mark about the demon-possessed man, which, by the way, is the next chapter after that whole blasphemy against the Holy Spirit thing. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus heals the demon-possessed man, if you remember the story, and, and he, all he wants to do is go and follow Jesus and become one of his disciples traveling around, and Jesus says no. And I always thought, oh, that's so mean. His town kicked him out. He's living in the hills. He's cutting himself. No one really wants him there. And all he wants to do is go be with Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Go and tell of the great things God has done for you. And then it says that he went into the Decapolis, into this area of all these towns. And many people believed because of his testimony. Friends, may we be people who invite the Holy Spirit into our lives daily. Not from obligation, but from a desire to be made righteous. And may we seek to be with God and in his house each and every day. Let us not live in sin, but let us live in God's righteousness together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Lord, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit not to bring shame, but to bring freedom. Lord, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit not to make us feel bad and dread going to church, but that we would run to times of worship and fellowship where we would be reminded of our freedom. God, thank you for bringing us from sin to righteousness. And so, God, as we enter into a time of worship now, would you convict our hearts? May we leave the sin behind and may we rest in the righteousness and forgiveness found in you and you alone. As the Holy Spirit convicts us and enters into our hearts to lead us in the way we should go, 
God, I pray that we would all have the courage to follow. Lord, thank you. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.